I got separated from my wife nine months ago. It has been truly devastating. I had dated in sobriety, done everything according to the book, married this fabulous woman and thought we were going to stay together forever. But it turned out that the traumas of emotional and sexual abuse in both our childhoods and the resulting PTSD made our marriage more into a painful battlefield than a loving place of mutual support. After five years of trying very hard on both sides, we decided to separate. I moved back to where I came from, found a flat to live in, found a job, and started living on my own again. I felt broken to the core, very ashamed, a failure. My old conviction that when people really get to know me, they can't love me, attacked me in full force with self-hatred, depression and self-pity. Then six months ago, my 89-year-old father died. The dominant, rageful and rejecting boogeyman of my youth, to whom I had made formal and living amends, and with whom the relationship had improved, though had never become perfect. I was able to be in the hospital during the last two days of his earthly life when he was in a coma. A couple of months later, we found a letter from my father addressed to my dear children and grandchildren. Halfway through the letter, he called each of us by name, my four siblings, their spouses, the eight grandchildren. But my name was not mentioned. I hadn't seen that one coming. It felt like I had been punched right in the heart. I felt disbelief, shock, shame, rage, paranoia. I managed to not act these emotions out on my siblings, but to start calling members instead. It was one of the most dangerous moments in my recovery, as my cunning disease attacked full force with sexually explicit fantasies and proposals. But by the grace of God, I got home safe and even quite serene that night. For the next couple of days, I shared with several members and listened to their experience, strength and hope. God gave me the grace of understanding that my father was a very ill person and that I had indirectly caused it by having been a very deceitful, rageful and manipulative son before I became sober. And the impossible happened, although it was, and still is, a very painful experience. I did not develop a resentment towards him. I continued to pray for him every day. In both cases, I threw myself even more in the program, with meetings, service, and after-meeting socializing. I tried to share as honestly and vulnerably at meetings, even when sometimes no one else had more than a year of sobriety, thereby practicing what an old-timer from Chicago often says, that he doesn't need to look good, 
but can look bad at meetings. What helps me to keep emotionally sober is to trust that this too shall pass. That God is my real, eternal and unconditionally loving Father. That this newfound Father is in charge. That I only have to live one day at a time. What helps me time and again is to share honestly and vulnerably about it. Is calling old-timers, asking them how it was when they were in their early years of recovery. My higher power has given me a very precious awareness. In the process, I was able to sense that deep down inside me, there is a tiny flame of serenity. Even while on the surface experiencing mental storms and disturbing emotions, I can sense deep down inside me a presence, a serenity that truly passes all understanding. There is a proverb saying, when the root is deep, there is no reason to fear the wind. Well, I'm not there yet, but I choose to believe that the roots of my inner being are invisibly growing deeper in such dry and dark spells. And that one day I can look back and really smile at the following inspiring words of our literature. Thus, every problem, no matter how small or great, every crisis, Resentment, pain, illness, stress, conflict, depression, any and all of them, without exception, can be turned into good. Sexholics Anonymous, pages 74-75. Thank you for letting me share. Loop D, Belgium.